listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. So we are going to be uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40, and as Grant mentioned, a lot of these passages uh, can seem very familiar um, because we hear them, but we always hear them like around December, right, and around that time of year, and so it is a little bit different to actually be walking through them now, but kind of walking through them in succession as we're learning about what Luke has um, for us. Um, how God is teaching us through Luke's account of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And so last week uh, was, was Christmas Sunday, right? And we uh, went through um, that very kind of plain, matter-of-fact presentation that Luke gives us on the birth of Jesus, how God was faithful in fulfilling His words uh, to Mary, but He was faithful in fulfilling the greater promises uh, that He had made for providing redemption and salvation for, for His people, and how God used His sovereign, His sovereignty, and His providence to display um, that faithfulness. We looked about. Uh, we looked at the shepherds' response, um, the other people who heard about this in Bethlehem, their response, and Mary's response um, to the first coming of Jesus on this earth. And we were challenged to think about when Christ first came into our lives, and do we ponder and treasure and rejoice and share, um, like the shepherds did. So this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, Jesus being presented in the temple. It's Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. (laughs) And so what we see here this morning, right, is that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And there's going to be two testimonies that we'll look at, the testimony of of Simeon and the testimony of, of Anna, and how God is providing salvation to Israel and to the nations, and there's, there's promise, and there's fulfillment, and there's, there's excitement, and there's, there's joy, but then there's also this first little hint, this first little ominous tone um, about suffering, and that how Jesus will divide Israel, and some will fall away, but yet some will, will rise. But this is all part of God's sovereign plan to use His one and only Son to bring salvation uh, to to the world. And so if you could, if you would please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read all of Luke 2, 22 through 40. Um, And then I will pray specifically for for our time, and then we will have fun this morning in the Word of God. (laughs) Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord's. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord's. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And as he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law... 
he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years for when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your words. I thank you that it is through your word that we are sanctified Lord, that we are made more like your Son, Lord, and it's by your grace and the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our minds. And so, Lord, I pray for that this morning, Lord, that we would not resist the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would welcome it, Lord, that we would heed it, heed its promptings in our hearts and in our minds, Lord, that this time this morning will be used to grow us, to challenge us, and to encourage us, and to, by your grace, equip us for the work of the gospel. Lord, but it must begin in our own lives and in our own hearts first. When I pray this all in your name, amen. So we will tackle this um, in three chunks, verses 22 through 24, verses 25 through 38, and verses 39 and 40. And one thing you may have noticed as I was reading right, is that there's kind of like this bookend kind of idea, right, and even it's all throughout this, this text about uh, the, the law of the Lord and doing what God requires, right? You can't kind of escape that, um, and that is very, very important, and we will dig into that here in just a few minutes. But if we think back to Joseph and Mary for just a moment and how they, they've made a 90-mile journey, right, from Nazareth to Bethlehem to be, to be registered, right, when Caesar Augustus and Quirinius was governor of, of Syria. And so they made that trek, they made that journey, and now they've had to travel another seven miles um, to, from Bethlehem to, to Jerusalem, and in those first few verses, verses 22 to 24, um, Luke kind of compresses um, three ceremonies, three things that the law of the Lord required, God's Word required, of Joseph and Mary. 
The first being uh, the purification uh, of Mary. And this would have happened 40 days after the birth of Jesus. Okay, there's two time stamps that happen in those 40 days. It's the first seven days, right? And then there's 33 days after that Mary's considered unclean and she needs to be purified. She has to wait till that, that 40 day period. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. They're in Jerusalem. And the 40 days after the birth of Jesus has, is upon them, and they now must go to the temple, and they have to bring a burnt offering and a sin offering to the temple. Normally, um, this is all out of Leviticus 12, by the way, um, it would have been bringing a lamb and a bird, either, either a pigeon or a dove or a turtle dove. But if you couldn't bring a lamb, then you could bring um, a pigeon and a turtle dove there, and sometimes that's, that's tied to just, um, just finances, right? They couldn't afford to, to get a lamb, so they brought two, a turtle dove and they brought a pigeon. But I think in a much deeper, deeper level, it speaks to just the humility and the humble status of this, this family, um, the parents of, of Jesus, and they bring two birds so Mary can be purified. That's, that's the first ceremony. Um, the second is, is actually presenting Jesus in the temple uh, uh, to God uh, as the firstborn. And, and part of that would have been to pay five shekels um, to the temple, which ultimately is signifying that Jesus belonged to, to, to God. And that's from Exodus chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 18. And what we'll see is how Mary and Joseph are going to learn just how much Jesus belongs to, to God. And they will come to slowly understand this. In fact, the words of Simeon will help bring some of that clarity to their minds. And so it's the purification of Mary. It's the presentation of the firstborn of Jesus to God. And then number three, it, it's the dedication of the firstborn to, to God's service. And that's 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. But what I want us to see here um, is how faithful Joseph and Mary were to the laws of God and doing what God required them to do. They were faithful parents, right? They, they were faithful parents. Um, they weren't perfect parents, but they were faithful parents. And when we read at the end of this passage that Jesus grew, <laughs> He became strong, He became filled with wisdom, um, part of that is how God used the faithfulness of Joseph and Mary in His, his life. And so I want to encourage the parents this morning <laughs> to be faithful. I want to encourage the grandparents this morning to be faithful, and the aunts and uncles to, to be faithful. Right? When it comes to raising children, investing in children, discipling children, um, it's, a, it's a high calling. But I'm calling and asking you to, to persevere in that as you train your kids in the instruction of the Lord's as you try seek to, to instruct them and mold them, right? and to, to pray for them and to teach them. 
to instruct them, to correct them, to train them. You, can, you only do that by God's grace, right? You only do that by God's grace. So just to encourage you to, to be, be faithful, right? And as a church, right, we have an obligation, I believe, to, to help and to come alongside and to help in the training and raising up of, of the children of, of Twin Villages Church. And it's a mighty, mighty privilege to do that. But be faithful. Be faithful. <laughs> and now we get to Simeon. Right? We get to this, this guy, Simeon. Right? We don't know much about Simeon. Um, but we actually know quite a bit about this man, Simeon. Right? We read in verse 25 that he was righteous and he was devout. He read that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. This, this man, Simeon, was, was a humble man. He was a, he was a faithful man. He was doing what God was calling him to do and requiring of him to do as one of God's children. He was a devout man. He was a God-fearing man. And he lived in the hope that God's promises would come true and would come to pass. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He had placed his hope in the fact that God was going to redeem, that God was going to fulfill his covenant promises. He's waiting for the comfort and the joy that comes when salvation is realized. This is Simeon. He was focusing on the right things, right? Simeon was, was a blessed man. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, right? He had received word, a special word from the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, before he had seen Jesus. Can you imagine that? Just think about that for a moment, that you're told by the Holy Spirit, that you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. Now, Simeon is a faithful man, a devout man, a humble man who's waiting for this. Right? We get no indication that he feared death. Right? In fact, when he gives his blessing to God, when he praises God... Right? He's saying that he can now depart in peace. He can die in peace. Right? So, so I think of it this way, right? that Simeon gets out of bed in the morning, every morning, since he got this word from the Holy Spirit that he's not going to die until he sees the Messiah, and, and, he gets, and, and, and he approaches his day like this. Maybe this will be the day I see him. Maybe this will be the day. Right? And, and he goes about his business. I don't think he was getting out of bed saying, man, I just, uh, I really hope that today's not the day. I got quite a few things to get done on my plates. So, you know, if it's another, if it's a week from now, that's better for me. I don't get that impression from this man, Simeon. He was longing to see the consolation of Israel. Longing. For it. Do we approach our days 
like Simeon. Do we approach our days this way, right? May I see God at work today. May I see the gospel alive and well and doing work in my life. May I see God working and the gospel transforming the lives of people around me today. That's the way we should be living our lives, right? Anticipating, looking for the work of God. We've come to a saving knowledge. If you're in Christ, you've come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. We don't have to fear dying because we're going to be with Christ. We're going to see Jesus. Right? You think of Simeon? You're not going to die until you see Jesus. And now it's like, when we die, we see him. Like, that was a beautiful thing. It's our ultimate source of peace and comfort. So may we approach life like Simeon, that we would see God at work, that we would see the gospel at work in our lives and in the lives of other people. They would just anticipate that and long for that. And so Simeon now, this is, that's who he is, right? And he's now, he makes his way to the temple one morning, guided by the Holy Spirit. So we don't miss that, right? Because what's that? That's God right, setting up this meeting in His sovereignty and in His providence. He's arranged now this meeting between Simeon and Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus. And he goes, as he goes to the temple, it might have just been like every other day when he goes to the temple, there was just this, this special kind of prompting and urging that he felt maybe this morning that he hadn't felt before, that he just, he just had to get there. I hope there's not traffic. I just need to get there. And he gets to the temple. And he sees Joseph and, and Mary and this baby that Mary's holding. And, and they're there to do what? They're there to do the, the customs that they were to do as, as believers, as, as, as God's people, according to, to the law. Right? There's no indication that Simeon knew who Joseph and Mary were, but he, but he knew who they were, right? How is that possible? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And he walks up to them, and he takes baby Jesus into his arms. Now, I'm going to guess that this might have startled Joseph and Mary as a man that they, they don't know comes walking up to them and just takes their firstborn son out of Mary's arms and puts, that, puts it into his arms. Right? And, and you know that Simeon, as he holds that baby, isn't holding the baby like this. He's holding the baby like this. Because he understands what has just happened. And he can't help but speak. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He, he blesses God in the sense that he's not, he doesn't need to bless God. Right? He's not putting himself above God. He needs to give something to God like God needs anything. No, he's speaking well of God. He's praising God for who he is and for what he has allowed Simeon to see and to experience. That God has been faithful to his words that he was going to see the Christ, the Messiah, God was trustworthy and faithful. He, he saw him. And so now he knows that, that he can die peacefully because God has been faithful to him. God's words have come true. God's words have been fulfilled. Everything that God had promised to him has happened. And so now he can die in peace. Because in this child, with this child, is the salvation that he's been waiting for and longing for. And it's not just a salvation for Israel. It's a salvation for all peoples. It's the light of revelation to the Gentiles. It's the, for the glory of the people, Israel. The light has come into this world, through this Son, through this child, Jesus. And as a result of it, there's, there's revelation and there's, there's glory. Back in Luke chapter 1, verses 78 and 79, the, Jesus is described, the Messiah is described as the light that comes for those who are in darkness. And that is this child that he's, he's holding in his arms. It's revelation to, to the Gentiles. It's revelation to those in Israel, to God's chosen people. It's this bright light that cannot be put out. And it's for the glory of Israel, right? It's for the glory of the people of Israel. Like this, is, this is the long-awaited Messiah. For generation after generation after generation, the people have been waiting and longing for this day. And this day is now here, and He sees it. And all he can do is praise his God and say, you can take me now, I'm good. You've been faithful to me. I've trusted you. He's not looking to go begrudgingly. He's going with peace. He's going with joy. Because he knows that God will continue to be faithful to his covenant promises and God and His grace has given him just a glimpse of His goodness. And so now he's ready to be with his lords. Isn't that fascinating? And now you're, you're Joseph and you're Mary, right? And you're, you're, you're trying to take all this in, right? And so we read in verse 33 that his father and his mother marveled that was said about him. You think... Right? And, and that's, that's, that's an appropriate response. Right? This, this is just further confirmation for Joseph and Mary about the uniqueness of their son. Right? And, and they, I'm sure they're sitting there thinking like, okay, this is, this is just one more level, one, one more layer. Okay, we, we, had, we, had the, we had the whole Gabriel thing, the angel coming. 
right? And then, and then I went to see... I went to see my relative Elizabeth, and when I walked in the room, the baby in her womb leapt for, leaped for joy, and she said that he, the baby in my womb was Lord. Like, I, like okay. Then we had these shepherds show up the, the, the night that our son was born, telling us all the things that the angels had said and the glory that they gave to the, this, this, our son who's laying in, in, in a manger. And now Simeon. I, I, we don't know who this guy is. He's a nice guy. I don't know who he is. But he's saying that this is who our son, our son is. Right? It, it just like the, the identity of their son and the, the mission of their son just keeps getting confirmed and confirmed and reaffirmed and confirmed. And, and they're marveling at this. That the God's plan and the God's faithfulness, they're just, they just every time they turn around, they're getting hit with it. And, and they marvel at this. And then in verse 34, Simeon, he, he, he blesses them, and that's different than, than praising them like he did to God just a few verses earlier. This blessing, right, is asking for God's special favor and God's grace. And Luke makes a point that, that he speaks to, to, to the mother, he speaks to, to Mary. And he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And then there's that little kind of parenthetical part in verse 35 when he looks at her and he says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be Revealed. Jesus, your son, is going to cause many people to fall or to rise. First Peter chapter 2, Peter says that Jesus is a stumbling block and a rock of offense. People will be tripped up by your son. They will stumble and they will fall. But your son will also cause many, many to rise. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says that Jesus is the cornerstone, that whoever believes in him will not be, be put to shame. So there are going to be those who reject your son and who are going to fall. But there are those who are going to believe in your son, and they're going to they're going to rise. They're going to be vindicated, right? And there's there's this there's this blessing, but there's this harsh reality that people will resist your son is what he's telling her. They're going to be opposed to him. They're going to refuse to hear him. In fact, they're going to actually contend and fight against him, and they're going to fall. The Apostle John in John chapter 1, verse 11. Jesus came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. Simeon is confirming for Mary that Jesus is the Messiah, but it's not going to be all 
rosy. That there are dark clouds on the horizon. That there's going to be suffering. There's going to be hardship. That he is going to divide people. And the goal of the ministry of Jesus ultimately is summarized by Simeon with the words, right, that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. It's the goal of his ministry to the nations that he's going to expose the hearts of the people, of the nations. Right? But it's the thoughts that I want to focus on briefly. The thoughts from many hearts will be the thoughts from many hearts. Right? And that's not a passing, fleeting thought or idea that pops in your head one minute and the next minute it's gone and you wish you had written it down. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the conclusions that people are going to reach after they think about this and as they reason with this and as they wrestle with this. They're going to reject him. They're going to contend against him. They're going to battle against him. And in doing so, Jesus is revealing their hearts. He's bringing to light their deepest emotions and ideas about God and who He is and what He has provided through their Son, Jesus, and they want nothing to do with it. It'd be like saying that a person's heartfelt thoughts reveal their hearts. But yet there are going to be those that, that are going to accept him and are going to, going to rise. Right? And, and right, it, 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 the same is still true to this day. Right? That the gospel, that Jesus, what's he going after? He's going after our hearts. That's what he wants most of all. He's going after our hearts and He reveals our hearts. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes we're encouraged and we feel that vindication, right? And we feel that encouragement swell up inside of us. But sometimes it's, it's painful, right? Sometimes it opens up wounds. Sometimes He exposes sin in our lives. But it's still good, right? It's a good pain because He's, he's making us more like Jesus. He's giving us an opportunity to, to change. He's given us an opportunity to confess sin, to, to ask for forgiveness and to give forgiveness and to repent, right? That's good work. But yet there are those that are going to want nothing to do with Him at all and are going to find Him offensive and weak and cheap and unnecessary. That tension is still here to this day. So it's a, it's a somber note. And I haven't even talked about, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Simeon is telling Mary that you're going to suffer as well. As you watch your son grow, as you watch your son and the ministry that he is going to fulfill on this earth, at times it is going to be like a sword 
running through your own soul when you see the way that people respond to him? When you see the way that he's going to suffer? Mary's going to feel the weight of the ministry of her son. And the pain that she's going to feel is not going to be due to any sin in his life and bad choices that he makes, right? But it's going to be the cost of fulfilling God's plan of salvation, right? And that division that, that your son is, is going to create. And yes, you know what? I, the, the cross is there for sure. There's an allusion to the cross here and the pain and the suffering. But the key point right, that Simeon is making, that Luke is capturing here, is that your son, right? He, Simeon's telling Mary, your son is going to bring division and it's going to cause pain and suffering. It's going to be a costly division, but it's God's plan. It's a somber note. Right? But if we look at Simeon's prophecy, if we look at the words of Simeon as a whole... Right, we see what? Number one, we see a prophet who's like perfectly at peace with all of this. Right? He, he and he's joyful. He's rejoicing. Hey, I can go be with God now. I'm good. Take me. Right? He he said that I wouldn't die until I saw his salvation. I, I've seen his salvation in this in this this baby, in this boy. Salvation's light has come. I've been waiting for the consolation and the joy and the peace that comes with seeing salvation realized. I've seen it. I'm rejoicing. Bring me home. But then there's this this this, this perception, this, this warning to, to Mary and to Joseph that people aren't going to be always rejoicing and glad about your son. He will be rejected. He will be accepted, but he will be rejected. Do you want to know what? That is the God-ordained path for this child to take. You're going to feel pain but this is the work of your son, your, your son who is the shining light of salvation, but yet he's going to bring division. But this is how God is going to use your son to bring salvation to the world. And then that's all that Luke has to say about Simeon and the prophecy. And so you're kind of like, yeah, but... Right? And I think that maybe Joseph and Mary were there going, yeah, but can you unpack it? What is Simeon telling them to do? Trust him. Trust him. I had been told that I wasn't going to see death until I met your son. I've met your son. I'm happy. Trust him. He's faithful. You can trust him. And then very quickly and almost unassumingly, we're introduced to this prophetess, Anna. She's from the tribe of Asher. Her father was Phanuel. Now, the tribe of Asher was, was, was one of the ten tribes that was taken into exile back in 722 B.C. 
because of their sin and rebellion against God. But, but, but we see that Anna's a little bit different, right? That she's, she's, she's faithful to her God. And, and Luke wants us to know that this, this prophetess Anna is no spring chicken. And, and the way that the ESV presents this in verse 37, um, it makes her out to be 84 years old. Um, but there's another way to, to unpack that um, idea, and I, I want to unpack it briefly because I think she was older than 84. You see, she was, she was married for seven years um, before her husband died. And then she lived for, another way of looking at that is that she lived for um, 84 years um, as a widow. Not that she was 84 years old, but that she lived 84 years as a widow. Right? So if we take 84 plus 7, right, you get 91 years. If she was married um, around that normal age for that time period in the ancient in the in the ancient, ancient Near East, it would have been uh, 13, 14, 15 years old. So you take 91 and you add, we'll say 14 or 15 to that. What do you get? 105, 104. So here's a faithful saint. who is waiting, as we read in the verse of, end of verse 38, for the redemption of Jerusalem. Not much different than Simeon. We don't know how old Simeon was. But she's, she's longing for the salvation that God had promised. And we can assume that Anna was a devout woman. She spent her days and nights in the temple worshiping, fasting, and in prayer. I mean, you, you understand that, that she chose right? A lifetime of service and worship of her God over remarrying. She, she recognized that she was dependent on God for everything, and so she spent her days and her nights in the temple. And don't think she didn't, like, sleep there. I don't believe she did, but the idea that Luke is getting across here is that she was there, and she was praising, and she was worshiping, and she was serving her God waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And she was there, in verse 38, we understand that she was there the, the same hour, that same time that Simeon was there. And maybe, maybe she watched all of that go down. We don't know. But all we know is that this Anna, she did not address, we have no record of her, talking to Joseph and Mary. We have no mention of her specifically talking about Jesus and their son. All we read is that she gave praise and thanks to God. And that she spoke to other people around her about, this is it. This is it. We've been longing and waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. It's here. Her focus is on the Redeemer, the light, the Messiah. 
and, and, and the time that, he, that he's ushering in. She's the second witness in the temple to the significance of this son that had been born to Joseph and Mary, this, this son, Jesus. God's promise of salvation and redemption are fulfilled in this baby, Jesus, and she's telling people about it. And, and I don't know about you, but if somebody that's 104 years old says, hey, I need to tell you something, you sit down and you listen to what they have to say. So I like to think that she had an audience as she was speaking, because she would have been very well-known and a very recognized person in the temple. And so now in verses 39 and 40, Luke tries to, to compress all of this for us. And he says that when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, you see that again, the faithfulness, right, that Joseph and Mary had, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. It's been a whirlwind trip for them, no? A lot's happened in their lives. I would like to think that there were probably some pretty stellar conversations that took place on that trip back, that 90-mile trip back to their home. But it's interesting because you would almost expect if this is the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, if this was the redemption of Jerusalem, you would kind of expect Jesus to, 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 to grow up in Jerusalem. But, but he doesn't, right? In many ways, he grows up like any ordinary boy back in his hometown with his dad and with his mom. But Joseph and Mary on that trip back knew that their son was unique and was special and that God had a plan for their son. And we read that the child grew, that Jesus grew up and became strong. Kind of very similar to the way that, they, that Luke talked about John the Baptist. But Jesus stands apart because he was filled with wisdom and God's grace was, was upon him. Right? Luke's drawing that distinction out for us very, very clearly. And I want you to understand that when Luke is talking about Jesus at this point, at this moment, he's talking about Jesus and he's focusing on the humanity of Jesus, not his divinity, his humanity. It's that as Jesus grew, as he matured, he was filled with wisdom. He began to understand God's will for his life in a more deep and real way. That he was the object of, of God's special attention. And Jesus kind of grows into his ministry. It's a fascinating passage. 
right? And, and we have to put ourselves there. We have to think about Joseph and Mary, right? Who, over the course of 10, 11 months, had been absolutely inundated with, with just information and, and just who this, this child was that was born to them, who their son was. But that the lives of Joseph and Mary are marked by what? Right? And this is where the, the book ending and the law of the Lord and doing what God requires, this is where this is so helpful for us, right? It was marked by just this obedience to God. Yes, those remarkable events have happened. They absolutely took place in their lives. I'm sure they were trying to unpack that and compress all that and try to think through that and understand it. But their lives are marked by, Luke tells us, just this faithfulness and this trust and the, the obedience that they had for their God in the day-to-day and -day the week-to-week and the month-to-month and the year-to-year. -year. You realize that, that God calls us to be faithful, that we're to trust Him in the day-to-day and the week-to-week and the month-to-month and the year-to-year. We're to trust Him and be faithful and obedient to Him. And some of our days are really uneventful and really kind of routine, maybe even boring. But we're called to be faithful and trusting and obedient. And there are other days that we're going to have in our lives, and maybe you're having in your life right now, that are just a tad more exciting, unexpected. You don't fully understand what God is doing and why He's doing what He's doing. Why is He allowing what He's allowing? But He is. And are you trusting? Are you being faithful? Are you being obedient? Some of your days are going to be marked by, by suffering and pain and hardship. Are you being faithful? Are you trusting? And are you being obedient? Why? Because of Christ. Because of the faithfulness that God revealed to us in His Son. And for all that Christ has accomplished for us. Right? That's why we can trust Him. That's why we can be faithful to Him. That's why we can be obedient because we've seen the ultimate example of His trust and His faithfulness and obedience through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we can therefore live that way because of the gospel. Right? But, it, but it has to go beyond right, just trusting. Right? Are, are, we, are we telling? Right? Because don't miss the point. Right? Simeon was trusting. He was longing. And then it happened, and he's just like, what? Anna was trusting, was waiting, and longing, and it happened. And she's just like, wah, telling. Right? And these testimonies are given in the temple. Right? These testimonies are given in the temple, where you, you'd think that people would be understanding, connecting all these dots and seeing what's happening here. 
So I think what we can learn from that is, is this, is that as a church and as people, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as loved ones in the Lord, right, we better be giving testimony to one another about what God is doing in our lives. Because our testimonies encourage one another. Our testimonies strengthen one another. Our, strength, our testimonies, guess what? Sometimes they challenge us. But our testimonies speak to the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of our God, and we all need that. And you want to know what happens as, as we talk about these things, and as we share, and as we encourage one another with what God is doing in our lives, man, it just bleeds outside. It just oozes. And you can't stop it. Right? Because people will begin to see the work of God's in our lives, the faithfulness of God in our lives, and they might not be able to connect the dots and understand what's going on. They might just think we're weird, but it opens up avenues to share the faithfulness of God's to our neighbors and to our community. So we need to make sure that we're, because of Christ and because of His gospel, that we're being faithful and, and obedient to our gods. And we need to make sure that we are telling others about the faithfulness of, of our gods because of, because of Christ. And here's the danger at least for me. I can get so busy with my life and with things that I think are important that I miss what God's doing. Right? I have blinders on sometimes in my life and I, and I don't see what He's up to. Now, we don't see all that he's up to, don't, don't hear me say that, but God in his grace does give us opportunity to see what he's up to, and it's my prayer that we're not so busy that we miss it, because if we miss it, well, number one, we miss a blessing, but number two, we miss an opportunity to, to share and to give testimony about what God is doing and the power of the gospel in our lives. So sometimes it's helpful to go on a 90-mile walk and think back about all that God has done for you and is doing for you and be ready to share His faithfulness in your life. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit twinvillageschurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria.